Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your life, the life that you give us, the life to which you call us. We pray now for your help, for your Holy Spirit to move among us as you actively work to set us free from all the things that hold us. Would you please move now in the power of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to all that you say to us today as we continue our summer series, Getting Real with Each Other. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you are with us. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go back to 1992, summertime, summer of 1992, Covington, Tennessee. It's about 100 degrees outside, about like it was this last week. Twelve 11-year-old boys are in a bicycle gang, uh, crouched in the alley behind Dr. A. Roy Rather's home. He is our town dentist, our Sunday school teacher, and the owner of a dilapidated orange and white conversion van that used to be his UT party wagon back in the day. Okay, some of y'all may have had a UT party wagon back in the day. He had this orange and white conversion van. It made many trips from Covington to Knoxville and back, even before there was a proper interstate all the way to Knoxville. It was, it was the real deal. Uh, grass was growing up around that thing. It didn't run anymore. It looked awful, but it had a bumper sticker that we love to go look at, a bumper sticker that said, God made only so many perfect heads, the rest he covered with hair. We thought that was great because Dr. Rather was just slick-headed bald. I mean, his, his head just shined. It also had those, those mud flaps with the chrome silhouette of the beautiful naked woman, like the truck drivers have. Y'all know about the chrome set, the beautiful naked woman, like the truck drivers had. We, uh, we 12, 11-year-old boys, we were intrigued by this woman, and we had come that day uh, prepared for our best artist, William Allen Wooten, whom we called Wooty. We were prepared for Wooty to draw that silhouette on 12 sheets of paper so we could each have a copy. That was our plan for the day. But it was taking him forever. 
Woody would say, you can't rush perfection. That's what he always said about everything. He was good, but he was slow. And we just started to get irritated at how long it was taking. It was hot. We thought we were going to get caught. And so we decided, I suggested actually, that Miss Nancy at the library had a copy machine. For five cents a sheet, she would make copies of this drawing for us. So we took up a collection and set out for the library. In just a few moments, we were gathered at the door of the Covington Library. We went on in, but on the way in, somebody asked, will she have to look at it? Will she have to look at it? I said, I was the one most familiar with the library. I said, no, you big dummy. We'll give it to her upside down. She won't even see it. (laughs) Twelve of us swarmed her desk. She looked over her little glasses, and she said, "Uh, can I help you, gentlemen? (laughs) Yes, ma'am. We'd like 11 copies right away, and here is 55 cents. She said, you'd like 11 copies of a blank sheet of paper. Woody said, it is not blank. Somehow, not a one of us had anticipated this moment of crisis as Miss Nancy slowly, slowly turned over the paper. Somebody in the back shouted, she's seen it, run, run. (laughs) We did. We ran. We trampled the little ones. Woody dropped his pencil case. Mitchell's retainer fell out. One of them ran all the way home, forgot he even had a bicycle parked out front. I grabbed the 55 cents off the counter and rode straight to the drugstore and got an ice cream cone because that's what I do when I get stressed out. (laughs) Not a one of us was seen in public the rest of the week. (laughs) I don't know whether a chrome-plated naked woman qualifies as pornography But I do think it points to the same piece of human brokenness with which we all struggle. Jesus names it in Matthew chapter 5. Let's hear the Word of God, chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, who looks at a person with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. If you even look at a person with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. You have broken one of the big ten. That's what Jesus says. He then offers some advice about what to do. Some people take this literally. Jesus didn't mean it to be taken literally. Jesus is saying, if this is your problem, if lust is your problem, you must take serious and at times extreme action in order to deal with it. Otherwise, you will find yourself in the pit of hell right now and for the rest of your life. That's the advice that Jesus offers. Pornography has become one of the great social problems of our time. Some might think that Christian people are immune to the attraction of pornography, but we're not. 
Folks who study this kind of a thing tell us that people in the church actually have slightly more of a problem with it than folks outside of the church. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors in the Christian church, not just the Methodist church, the whole Christian church, view this stuff on a regular basis. 76% of our young people, boys and girls, actively search for it on a regular basis. 76% actively search for it on a regular basis, usually daily. In a recent survey among uh, thousands of evangelical Christians, only 13% of the women who took the survey could mark the box, I never watch pornography. 87%, 87% of those women chose, I have intentionally watched porn more than once. Half of our men and a third of our women, half of our men and a third of our women admit to an addiction to pornography. Maybe now we understand why it is so important that we talk about this stuff. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23, let's hear these words from Jesus too. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. This is complicated stuff. It's same as any kind of addiction. It is dangerous, idolatrous, it is sinful. We know all of that. The question is, what do we do about it? And another question, why has this problem become so ubiquitous in our culture today? Lust is an age-old problem of sin and human brokenness. Human beings have long found ways to tap into this particular kind of sin and the physical feel-good moments which accompany such behaviors we have also learned how to languish in shame as we imagine that no one else has this struggle and that God must hate us for our sin. After all, Jesus just said, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Oh, the chains of shame. Hold tight. And we just repeat this endless cycle, hoping God will have mercy as we wallow in shame. Now, here we are in 2022, living in a digital world full of enterprising people who have figured out how to monetize, how to monetize our lust, our problem. The pornography industry generates 50 to $100 billion a year, depending on who you ask, 50 to $100 billion, with a B, dollars a year. A decade ago, just a decade ago, it was more like $5 billion. Ten years before that, it was about $500 million. The money is mind-boggling, and the access is just a few swipes away. Television is full, and advertisements of all kinds, they're full of these gateway images that get us sort of set up for this addiction. It's just everywhere. It is all around us. What's the real cost? It's not $500 million or a hundred billion. What's the real cost? Our, our older people are caught up in this stuff, angry, ashamed, and helpless. 
our middle-aged folk are struggling to keep marriages going because of secrets like this and all the damage that this stuff does to the ability to be in relationship with your spouse. Our young people are participating in something that literally rewires the brain and creates deep channels of behavior and expectations which can never be satisfied in the real world. This stuff affects any person's ability to be in a meaningful relationship of any kind. Now, we all agree, I think, social media is a hindrance to people having healthy relationships, but I think this stuff is a far worse culprit. Why? I think it's because you cannot cultivate truly healthy relationships when every other person you meet, every other person you look at, is a piece of meat. Pornography teaches your brain to consume people for your own pleasure and benefit. Just because you're separated by a screen and a thousand thousand miles doesn't mean that you're not doing harm to another child of God who is also a person of sacred worth, even if you convince yourself that that's a willing participant who has consented to being recorded and to participating in all of this. We know that this industry feeds human trafficking, the spread of STDs, sex addictions of all kinds, and horribly exploitative behavior towards young people and even children. We know better than to play with this mess, and yet 68% of our men, half of our pastors, a third of our women, 76% of our young people, boys and girls, actively support this thing, which is destroying our humanity. That's where we are today. There is a reason why Jesus holds us to covenant faithfulness in marriage and to a life lived without unbridled lust. God knows that it is a problem for us and that it is devastatingly dangerous. So what do we do now? What do we do about all this? We know the facts and the figures. Let me be very clear. There is help. There is help. If you are addicted to this stuff, you probably can't just stop. Otherwise, you would have already. We can get you to trained professionals who can help rewire those pathways, who can help you find recovery from this addiction. We know who they are. We have their names and telephone numbers and addresses, and we will even pay for it as a church family to help you find the healing and wholeness that you need. Support groups abound in our own community, or you can go to another community and find support groups there. And then I must tell you, you will never be met with shame and judgment in the offices of your pastors when you come and ask for help with an issue like this. Never will we bring shame or judgment to you. You've probably got enough of that already. You don't need any more. There is help, and it is time to reach for it. The second thing, the Holy Spirit wants to set you free, and God will use every pathway that you open from counseling to confession to prayer to meditation to simply taking the time to name that you have a problem. The final thing, no matter how deep your shame, no matter how deep, our God specializes in bringing life out of death. God already knows how to put us back together. God knows how to put back that which has been lost. It is usually usually not easy or simple, and it can't start until 
you are on your face admitting to God that you have a problem. But when you do, get ready, get ready, because light will begin to shine and life can return to you again. Back in 1992, summertime in Covington, Tennessee, after that week of being in hiding, on the next Sunday morning, we were all sitting, nearly all of us were sitting in Dr. Rather's Sunday school class. We were just glad that that week was behind us. We were nearly done with the lesson, with the class, when Dr. Rather suddenly dismissed all the girls to go on down to church, to big church, we called it. And he looked at us boys who sat around the table. He just looked each of us in the eye, and then he reached in his bag, and he pulled out Woody's picture. <laughs> and he laid that thing on the table between the Bibles and the hymnals and the prayer cards. We were silently praying for God to open up the floor and swallow us whole before Dr. Rather said anything. After what felt like absolutely forever, he said, Now, boys, I've taught you a bad lesson. I understand the thoughts, the strange feelings that you're feeling for the first time. They come from a very animalistic place. I remember that word, a very animalistic place. If you will let God help you, those feelings can become a gift for your special someone who may come along later. But if you choose, if you choose not to invite God into this part of your life, I can attest through painful personal experience that you are in for a tough and painful road. Be careful what you look at in this picture. She'll either be your unyielding mistress or a beloved child of God whose life matters to you as much as your own. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. Be careful what you look at with the eye of your heart. On Monday afternoon, we were once again peddling down Main Street trying to figure out how that picture got from the library to Dr. Rather and how he knew. One of those rollback trucks came slowly crawling out from behind Dr. Rather's house with that orange and white van on the back. <laughs> it was going to the junkyard. We looked longingly, longingly at the chrome silhouette of the beautiful naked woman as she faded out of sight. I don't know what the others saw, but I know what I've been trying to see ever since. And I thank God for a man who loved us enough to tell the truth and to teach us that God is at work, even in places of deep shame. I must tell you today, your shame is no match for God's love. Your sin is no test for God's grace. Let's find healing together so that we can share it with the world. God wants to break some chains today. <laughs> The question that we have is, will you let him? Will you let him? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.